Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. hunting people. It is so good to talk to you again. I hope you are bright-eyed and bushy-tailed on your drive into work this morning or your drive home from work if you're like my wife and you have to work the graveyard shift. Anyway, a handful of states are officially out scanning the travel routes and feeding areas for deer with a bow in hand of course. If that's you I hope you are getting some great encounters and most of all I hope to start seeing some excellent grip and grin photos floating around on social media here soon. For the rest of us October is coming and sweet November isn't far behind. But sorry southerners sweet January is still you know like a long ways out. But that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. Rut hunting tactics with Garrett Fike. Now go ahead crank up that AC to create that nice crisp November morning sunrise feeling in your car and begin daydreaming about the best days of the rut as we dive into episode 15 of the First Gen Hunter podcast. guys aren't going to believe it. Brandon, I think you'll believe it because I've already talked mm. up a big game here for our guest tonight. <laughs> but once again, First Gen Hunter has has reached into the world of guys who just get it done. And mm-hmm. actually what's interesting is the guy that we're talking to t- tonight is a guy who gave me a quote that I used in a post about my buddy Chris Dyer. And that is the best outdoorsmen are the ones you never heard of. And so we, we <laughs> have it. we have another uh, expert whitetail guy, expert whitetail hunter, um, and specifically bow hunter, Garrett Fike on the show with us tonight. Hey, Garrett, good to have you. Good to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. Now, Garrett and I, we go back quite a ways, and in fact, this might be the last time I call him Garrett. It just feels so wrong to call him Garrett because he goes primarily by two different nicknames in our family, and uh, uh, first is his last name, which is Fike, so we just call him Fike a lot, but there was a funny story. It involved Fike driving like a big rig dump truck that he probably needed a you know, like commercial driver's license for or something and <laughs> didn't have back when he was in high school and, uh, pulled up at a, it was a quarry, right? And, uh, yeah, he was getting a huge load of rocks. We were picking up rocks. <laughs> and the, per, the person checking him in just assigned him the name. They're like, Oh, what's your name? And he, of course he says, Garrett. And you know, too much too much diesel exhaust and loud <laughs> loud uh smokestacks and stuff through the years she thought he said gary so uh his trucker name is gary there so you go. We, nice. we call him we call him gary a lot and then literally 
I've had a lot of moments in my life, and honestly, a lot of them have been with with Fike, where um, I've laughed the hardest that I've ever laughed. Um, <laughs> but one of them wasn't with Fike, but it was about Fike, and it was. Do you remember like maybe six or seven years ago? Of course, Fike remembers because I posted on his uh, timeline every year. Uh, but there was this Dr Pepper Ten commercials where they were supposed to be like these like super manly guys and and the, mm-hmm. the one guy was like grizzly adams or whatever yeah and one of the commercials i kid you not and fike he as we're gonna find here in a second he is a big time outdoors outdoorsman and this guy you know who's supposed to be like grizzly adams or jeremiah johnson living in the wilderness he's got this like trained pet bald eagle that fetches dr pepper tens out of the out of the, you know, like mountain streams there or whatever. Mm-hmm. And as mm-hmm. soon as he drops his, the, his pet eagle, his trained eagle, drops this Dr. Pepper 10 right in his hand, the guy cracks it open. He's like, yeah, thanks, Gary. And the second he <laughs> called that eagle Gary, I lost it. I mean, I was like, and it was right after I got married, and I think my wife had some second thoughts. But but um, it was it, – it's it's just too hard to call him Garrett. So we'll, I'll I'll probably reference him as as Fike and Gary most of the night. But um, he's a good friend and certainly played a major role in um, my life as a hunter, whether he knows that or not. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, it's kind of interesting. Brand and I were talking recently, and the way first gen hunter started to come about was. You know, I started to, I had, I had done some writing in the past and, you know, I kind of liked writing and I was like, you know what, I'm hearing all these guys writing books. I'm just going to write a book about becoming a hunter. And, and, uh, it was too much to bite off at one time. Someday it's, it's on my bucket list. I will, I will finish that book. I will, I'll make it happen. But in there, I, I talk about how Garrett, how Fike, how Gary, uh, basically resurrected my life as an outdoorsman. And, uh, nice. uh, yeah, you know, I was big into fishing growing up and stuff, but then, you know, got into college and, and life just shifts around a little bit, you know, but Fike, mm-hmm. he took me, uh, bow fishing and, and, uh, talked to me about deer hunting. We used to cruise at least once we cruised around, uh, like the twilight hours trying to spot bobcats during the winter. I think I fell asleep like 10 minutes into the ride though, but, uh, <laughs> we, I mean, he just, he really kind of brought that back. We did a couple of wilderness trips together, canoeing and fishing trip up in Minnesota and, and, uh, a backpacking trip out to Montana and trout fishing there. And, and, uh, mm-hmm. just kind of helped rekindle that love that, that it kind of really faded during those years. And of course I hadn't hunted yet. And so he's talking to me about hunting and my brother, Jake too. In fact, Fike, if I remember correctly, you took Jake hunting, like turkey hunting. He he wasn't hunting, but he was with you or something, right? When you you were in high school, you kind of like showed him the ropes or something. Oh yeah, yeah. Jake and I we shot bows together. We did a lot of bow fishing, like you and I did together. Um, still do. And I did I did bring him along for a spring turkey hunt uh, one year, and and uh, got him out of bed and took him out and let him let him experience hearing gobbles up close and we didn't get one that day but uh i think i know i really enjoyed it and i think he did too it was a lot of fun yeah yeah for sure and that was really the first like true hunting experience anyone in our family had ever had um that's that's how first gen we are (laughs) But, (laughs) but um that that is just kind of explains the role of, of Fike and his passion for the outdoors and how that's spilled over to, to our lives. And, you know, 
uh, here we are <laughs> talking about talking about hunting and and you know my favorite thing to do one of jake's favorite things to do and so you know fike has has already been fulfilling the mission of what it is here at first gen hunter which is just getting folks out in the woods so that's you know i thank you for that and i think i've learned a lot from you and i know through this episode a lot of people will learn from you because you truly are one of the best hunters i know not just deer hunters but uh turkey hunters shed hunters um uh anything else that you seems seems you uh lend your hand to in the outdoors you you just really excel at it so i'm really glad to have you on the show and the the guy that i've been talking about here and talking to in the background would be our faithful co-host mr brandon martin from hunt fish life and uh yeah and and uh so it's pretty cool that you guys get to meet your uh two of my good friends and and um uh, I think Brandon will enjoy this conversation as well. Yes. And Brandon, while you are the subject of conversation, any uh, mm. updates on any uh, uh, like quick projects or, or anything like that you can update us on with Hunt Fish Life? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, there's great things going on. You know, we're working on just developing um, additional uh, decals, logos, you know, kind of some cool stuff, uh, some cool stuff in the works right now with actually – um, a bow and a flounder and kind of a patriotic kind of setup that we're hoping to get on some decals and some shirts and whatnot coming up. So excited about that. Um, really excited about some, uh, saltwater fishing we're going to be doing to try to get some content for hunt fish life. Um, coming up going about, you know, 10 to 20 miles out in the ocean. I'm doing some flounder and some sea bass fishing and, uh, have the blessing of being able to do that with a couple of good buddies, um, this coming weekend, uh, who are actually from the hunting club that we operate as well. So we're going to go out there. We'll probably, we'll probably spend half the time talking about hunting, even though we're out fishing. So <laughs> <laughs> that's about right. So, yeah, so we're, we're excited. Some really good things going on. Just, you know, and, uh, just excited to see the involvement on social media and, you know, seeing people's, you know, sharing their stories, having fun, looking forward to the season ahead, enjoying life. You know, that's, that's what we're about is enjoying that brotherhood and sisterhood of the great outdoors. And so just excited to be a part of the conversation tonight and chatting with Garrett and, you know what? The cool thing is we all, no matter where we're at in the hunting side of things, and, and Kent and I have talked about this, you know what? Just because Kent has less hunting experience than someone like me or Garrett doesn't mean that we can't learn from Kent. Um, and, and certainly the same way with Garrett, you know, being you know a hunter for so long and an outdoorsman, I'm looking forward to being able to glean some truths and some tips. So, I mean, it's just really cool how you can learn from each other no matter where you're at in that stage. And that's what that those relationships and that camaraderie is all about. Right on. That's yeah. I, I, I couldn't agree more with that, Brandon. It's it's uh, been a real privilege for me to, you know, I'm the, the friendship that Kent and I have fostered over the years, and and just to see him evolve from mm. from a guy that was just doing some some camping and some fishing and mm-hmm. in and out of you know that lifestyle to where he is today. And, you know, you talk about learning from somebody like that with maybe less experience in the field, but you know, can't, you got a podcast now you're co-hosting it with Brandon and, and that's not, that's something that's totally foreign to me. And I'm learning from you on, on that front and you're writing articles that are in magazines and different state subscriptions. And I think that's, that's incredible. And those are all things that I haven't personally done that I can learn from you. And love uh, that it's, 
it's just it's been a it's been a real privilege and i makes me feel good that i've been able to help expose this lifestyle to you mm-hmm. and maybe have some influence on you can't and uh he said just just a it's been a privilege well it's awesome yeah thank you for saying so Man, I better I better uh, say something else before I get a tear in my eye here. <laughs> <laughs> no, quit it. No, no, I I really appreciate you saying so, and and you know I think that's a good place for us to start is this background that you know kind of not just brought uh, our friendship together and, and your even before that your friendship with my brother Jake, um, but really your love for the outdoors growing up you hunted quite a bit and, and a lot of different things with your dad mostly. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Yeah. We hunted a lot growing up for all different species. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a cool bond. I think that gets formed when, when uh, kids get to do that with their dad and it, and something we've tried to communicate a lot is, you know, it doesn't just have to be a man's thing, you know, like a, a father, mm-hmm. son, well, could be mother son, oh, could be mother mother daughter or or father daughter, and you know I, I'm really looking forward to uh, not just those experiences with my own son uh, before too long here, but but with my daughter as well. And so I think it's just just a really powerful thing. Now, when you first started out with your dad, what was the first hunting that you were getting into? So the way I look at it, and the way I'll explain it is it's me it's, it's kind of an apprenticeship and and uh you know we started out with just you know always shooting at targets where i'm tagging along with him we're going on hunts whether it's hunting rabbits or squirrels i mean i when i first started out my dad sent me to go walk around the base of a big oak tree that a squirrel's up in to try to run them around on the side of the limb that he can get a clear shot at, <laughs> you know? And so my, my hunting experiences started way before I was even carrying a weapon. Sure. I mean, it was standing at the door waiting for dad to come home, to see if he got one Dad, dad's home early. You know, that only mm, means one mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. And, uh, just yep. live, you know, live in that whole lifestyle. And from, from the moment I was old enough and coherent enough to understand what was going on, I was just absolutely infatuated and loved with uh with hunting and outdoors but you know so like i said to me it was just getting that exposure i'm learning about it i'm getting a little bit older i'm starting you know dad's starting to let me take on some additional responsibilities carrying a weapon we're going out and we're hunting blackbirds in the yard we're hunting Mm -hmm. ground squirrels i mean it, it starts with something as simple as that it's not even a game animal but and throughout the entire time He's teaching me about ethics and, you know, how to move in quiet and move in undetected. I mean, just all these little things that you don't even, you know, now we take it all for granted. Right. But at the time mm-hmm. it was, you know, really big and, and, uh, you know, super cool to me. But then it got into the squirrel hunting, rabbit hunting, turkey hunting, deer hunting, bow fishing, um, Never really did a whole lot of upland bird hunting like you have. Mm-hmm. Really haven't done a whole lot of waterfowl hunt, hunting. Um, you know, but it, it started out primarily gun hunting, and uh, but always shooting a bow. Yeah. But it it was it was a neat bond, and I'm an only child, so it was always just dad and I. There wasn't any brothers or 
anything like that to contend with. It was a lot of one-on-one time and it was, it was, it was an incredible upbringing and nice. uh, I'm very thankful for that. That's yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that you didn't mention there, but I think you would probably agree with those lessons of in the yard with the, your BB gun. And like you mentioned, sneaking up on game and stuff that you were learning, I think maybe even more importantly, the, the thing you were learning from that was that love for the, the sense of adventure that comes with doing that kind of thing. Am I right? Right. No, definitely. Most definitely. And that to me is what keeps, keeps people coming back year after year. You know, there's guys that kill nice bucks almost every single year. Well, you're one of those people, (laughs) but, and, (laughs) and the second you got it tagged, you know, you're so grateful for what you got, but it, you're just so excited for the next the next season already and, and the adventures that, that lay ahead. And so I think that that's one of those hidden things that parents, outdoor-minded parents, can capitalize on is just creating that sense of wonder and adventure within their kids. That's just it. And that's where, um, you know, I... I'm just going to be open and transparent with you guys throughout this entire conversation. And so, uh, I'll just, I'm just going to be honest. I think that's a problem that, uh, a lot of new hunters are being faced with is they're going out with mom, dad, uncle, grandpa hunting over an immaculate food plot out of a redneck Mm -hmm. blind with, you know, either a rifle in hand or muzzle or something, whatever that may be. And, night one night two they're they're killing a really nice deer and those those types of stories never end with the lifelong hunter uh, and i mean I, that's a blanket statement and there's exceptions but um that instant success that instant gratification mm-hmm. doesn't doesn't give you that sense of wonderment that you were just speaking to that uh, you get when you're starting out small game hunting and and going through, you know, all the trials and tribulations, when it's handed to you, it's not worth as much. And you don't want it. You don't have that drive, you know, instilled in you to keep going back for more. So, I, you know, I think that's, it's cool. It's great. I mean, I, I don't begrudge, you know, any young guys that are going out there, mom, dad, whoever, they're putting in a lot of hard work to give them a good opportunity. Um, but I don't know if that's the best way to do it or not. Hmm. Yeah, that's a really, it's a, I, I, that's a, I really appreciate that perspective. That's really interesting. You know, and I mean, it's very similar to, you know, even getting a job when you're young and kind of working your way up and understanding, you know, that process. And I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's a very, that's a very interesting perspective from the standpoint of, you know, I never really thought about that, but as, as you say it, you know, you're, I think you're absolutely right that if it is just handed to you or, you know, you're one of those kids that ends up having a lot of success when you're really young because, you know, your family has all the connections. Many times you don't see that love built and be, you know, because building a love like that is a slow process. It's not an overnight type thing. You know, I think one of the things you just mentioned, uh, Garrett was, you know, just the anticipation. I think one of the things that is important to build into young hunters or, or people that are new to the sport is the anticipation, you know? So you mentioned, you know, waiting for dad to get home, he comes home early and you're like, wow, you're, 
you you're watching him, you know, maybe clean the animal, you scan the animal, you know, you're talking to him about things. I mean, building that anticipation, maybe even before you're ever even able to get out in the woods yourself with dad, you know, and, and that's that slow build of the love. I mean, and so a passion and a desire for anything can't be built overnight. And, and when it is often it's not real. And so I think that's a pretty cool perspective that you just brought up. Right on. Yeah. It's, uh, like I said, there's exceptions to everything and I'm not, I'm not going to begrudge anybody that does it that way. Um, but I just, like I say, it's, it's a process and I really mm-hmm. feel like it's an apprenticeship and, and, uh, just from also from the angle of, of understanding what you've just done, I'm not sure yeah. that a six, seven, eight year old child understands that they just took that animal's life. And that is right. something that needs to be yeah. that that is very important that needs to be done with respect and reverence. And it's a big deal. I yep. mean, you just took an animal's life. It's not, you know, this, we're not just out here playing games. And yeah, I think it's difficult for young children to probably pick that up. And mm. I don't know, you know, it's, uh, it, like I say, it's, it's an interesting topic. It's I'm biased because the way I was brought up, but I do think there's a lot of truth to it. That's a good point. We definitely uh, appreciate your candid thoughts there. And, you know, something that I'm grateful you said before, I, I have kids of that age and Brandon's got, got some kids that are getting pretty pretty close to around that age as well. And, and um, yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. And, you know, I would even add on to that. And we've talked about this before, Brandon has specifically. Um, sometimes it's passed off that, you know, unless you're you're shooting these Boone and Crockett, Pope and Young bucks, what you're doing isn't really worth it. In fact, uh, a, a, a young guy that we interviewed in our first installment of the Next Gen Hunter series, uh, mm-hmm. Nate Olson, just graduated from high school this spring. And uh, he, he said that one thing experienced hunters need to be careful about with Next Gen Hunters is not making it all about the score, you know. Every every animal yeah. you take has value, and if I, I just love his phrase, you know, I might have to make this a, a T-shirt, you know. Yeah, uh, might have to get like some copyright permission from Nate to do so. But uh, <laughs> he said, if it's a trophy in their eyes, it's it should be a trophy in everyone's eyes, and mm-hmm. I just think that 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 goes right along with it. And if you are a new hunter, and hey, you're working hard, and a doe comes out, take the doe, you know, get mm-hmm. get. Yeah. learned the joy of reaping the fruit of your labor, so to speak. Yeah. It is the struggle that makes it so much fun. And, and the, the hours where you don't see deer and the, the sweat and the out of breath and, and climbing up a tree stand that all that just wraps up into it. That when you do then have those really rewarding moments, it's, it just makes it so much sweeter. And, and you're right. If it's, if you kind of fast forward through all that, uh, that background stuff, it, it does kind of almost uh, make it a hollow experience for the person experiencing it. Maybe not always, but, but certainly uh, I think probably, right. like you said, more times than not. So when yeah. I think there's yeah. a, I think, go ahead, Garrett. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to say uh, a gentleman that was really influential on me and, you know, from outside of my family is a guy named Mike Benton. And he's another one that most people have heard of. He's been involved with a couple of uh, film productions um, and he's written one or two books and a lot of articles, but anytime he sold a copy of his book, uh, the quote he put inside the, the cover page was, 
count every achievement in proportion to the effort involved. Hmm. And I think mm-hmm. that kind of helps sum up a little bit of what we're talking and what Kent, your points were just a minute ago. It, uh, the more you put into it, the more you're going to get out of it. And yeah. it's going to be that much more meaningful to, to you or, you know, whatever individual in the task is that they're involved in. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. For sure. I was, I was just going to say, I think there's another facet to it as well. And I think Garrett, you know, brought it up a little bit. Many times when you're trying to get someone let's say, you know, let's say you've had a little bit of success and, you know, you really want to start to build that love into, you know, maybe a friend who's expressed a little interest, you know, you're trying to, you know, train up a first gen hunter, you know, and, and, and something right. like that. Sometimes there can be a lot of pressure, man, I've got to, I've got to get this guy out there. And I mean, mm. if he's not seeing a mess of deer, if he's not, you know, if he doesn't harvest a deer, his first season, you know, I think a lot of times uh, seasoned hunters, we can put a lot of inadvertent yeah. pressure on ourselves because, you know, we, we all, even though like I'll, I'll speak for myself, even though I'll say, and I went through that experience growing up. I mean, I missed a mess of deer before I ever shot a deer. I, I grew up very similar to Garrett, you know, in terms of, you know, that doing that small game hunting and my dad, you know, going through that process, but you know, we're, we're very Americanized in the sense that we want immediate success and especially when we're you know we're we're showing someone the ropes we want to see them have success and you know sometimes we have to be okay with the process on our side of things as well and say you know what it's okay we can't put too much pressure on ourselves you know what if if it takes a year for them to have a real great opportunity man that's great that's that's a that's a time there where they're going to learn and if they if they really love it they're going to stick with it you know we don't have to put so much pressure on ourselves so i think that's a good point too from the season hunter's perspective definitely yeah i i would uh i would 100 percent agree yeah yeah for sure now before we it's uh challenging get- though Yes. Uh, You know, we all, we all want to, we all want to feel and achieve that success and, and, Mm -hmm. uh, we all get caught up in it. Yes. Um, And then when we do have the experience, you know, we kind of expect to be able to bring that to somebody else Mm -hmm. sooner, you know, and we want to, we want to see them, we want to see the excitement, but yeah, I've, I've wondered that myself. I've taken my fiance hunting and, and, uh, you know, she's had, she's had some pretty good success in the deer, deer woods, but turkeys have haven't come as easily to her and, mm-hmm. and uh but i'd, I'd never thought about it as, as brian just put it and so it's probably a good thing you know that she's she's had some struggles because when it does all come together it'll be that much better but yeah hard to remind myself of that yes right <laughs> yep yep <laughs> well before we get into the the main focus of today's uh show let's talk a little bit about some of your your like let's say your top two hunting experiences as far as whitetails or or like trips or what are you thinking yeah you know what in fact i'm going to choose one for you (laughs) 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 one of the coolest hunts that i just was blown away by was that buck you killed up in uh north dakota i believe he's on public land is that correct it would have been 2018 well, season, I think. Yeah, it, it was it was private land, but it was, uh, see, in North Dakota, you can hunt anything that is not posted is oh, public. Okay. So okay. it was on non-posted wow. private ground. So it's wow. privately owned, but open to the public. That's one oh. of the great things about North Dakota. There's endless opportunities for sportsmen. Huh. 
That's that's really it's, interesting. Uh, I think Maine is that very, same way I just heard recently. I think Maine is okay. the exact same law. But, yeah, anyways, go, go ahead with the story. Yeah, it was, like I said, it was private ground. I, I, I gained permission through a, through a gentleman that I was working with, all brand new area to me, brand new uh, terrain. It was a, it was substantially different than it is around here. Much more open, a lot fewer trees, and a mm. lot, uh, a lot more variety in crops. Mm. It's not just corn and soybeans like it is here in, in Illinois. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I had one one of those farms, and it wasn't the one that I killed that deer off of. But within that section, there was spring wheat, soybeans, sunflowers, canola, and sugar beets. Oh, All wow. in the same, you know, and, and then in potatoes in, in the area, but not on that section. And so mm-hmm. it was just, it was a lot of, lot of variety. But where I ended up killing that deer, when I looked at aerials of it, I didn't even think that it was going to be that great of a place to hunt. Just wasn't enough timber. It's all grassland. They have a lot of the programs, the wetland reserve program, WRP, very similar to our conservation reserve program we have around here, CRP. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, so hanging stands and goopy little trees, not very far off the ground. Um, just went out there when, and had some really good success early on. Their season opens up tail end of, of August. Didn't end up putting it together. I actually missed a phenomenal deer on probably the third or fourth hunt in the middle of September. Huh. Um, wasn't really running a whole lot of cameras out there. The thing was, there wasn't, North Dakota allows baiting, but okay. I, I, I just couldn't bring myself to bait for deer. I have nothing against baiting. Mm-hmm. What's legal is legal. And I'm not going to, you know, turn sure. my nose up at, at anything that's legal. It's do whatever the person wants to do and what they enjoy and feel comfortable with. For me, I couldn't bring myself to hunt whitetails over bait. So to get these, to get them narrowed down was really, that was the big challenge. And so for cameras, it was hard until I didn't really have much luck running cameras until they started, um, hitting scrape lines a little more frequently, mm-hmm. but, uh, sailed one over the back on a really, really nice deer at about 25 yards. And I was in a tree stand that I could reach up and grab the platform from the ground. <laughs> oh, wow. Was low. <laughs> wow. Um, uh, but, uh, Fast forward probably uh, three or four weeks after that, and it was the middle of October, and I got into a, a set, and it was a brand new set to me. It was getting a little bit more, it was intruding on what few trees there was, what little bit of cover there was in the area, and uh, ended up having uh, two different bucks uh, stand up. That it was, they were all planted trees. I was in a cottonwood tree, and so it was in a T shape, and I was in the bottom of the T on the would be on the east side and in the top of the tee is where these two these two bucks were and i got to watch them tickle antlers a little bit uh, push each other around nothing super aggressive but just all interesting things to see i watched them um for probably an hour and a half and so they they had stood up early i got in really close to them and eventually about a half an hour before dark um I had a doe and a fawn come by and they went by at about 20 yards Mm -hmm. and shortly after the bucks had stood up and I thought, you know, if they just follow on that same path, it was too early in the year. They definitely weren't interested 
per se in the dough, but they were just mm-hmm. on their way to a neighboring soybean field. And they got up and they took their sweet time, but uh, ended up stepping out and was able to harvest, harvest the deer there and got and shot him about 20 or 22 yards. And he only went 80 or 90 yards before he dumped over. And it was just a oh. really, really neat experience. Yeah. Because for me, it was a brand new area, a brand new state. It was all on my own. And I, I was hunting in a spot that I didn't even, you know, think it was going to be um, that conducive to hunting. And I was so wrong. It was phenomenal. Mm. That yeah. it was actually a fantastic place to hunt. And I was only up there for one fall, but if I could have been up there for more, I really think uh, I could have played played some games and had a lot of fun with the deer in that area. I mean, it was it was not difficult to see twenty or thirty deer in a set, in yeah. a single set, I should say. Wow. You can also see for a mile in every direction too. Yeah. Well, but, it's uh, cool to see how you know you basically would say I'm sure that you grew as a hunter through being stretched like that and what a cool experience oh definitely yeah Yeah, it was it was really it was definitely a a growing period for me and a a big learning opportunity and i was just fortunate enough to to have success during that learning curve it's amazing yeah it, it was it was uh it was very satisfying and and i really really enjoyed it it was uh, it was a big moment for me as a hunter just to be able to go up there and, and do something like that. And it was and it was on my terms. That's right. probably what was the most yeah. important to me because up there, um, like I said, it's a baiting state. It's been baiting forever. There's yep. they they don't hunt deer without being over a bait pile. It just absolutely yep. unless they're in the western part of the state, then it's a mm-hmm. different world out there. Um, more spot and stock and long range rifle hunting. But on the Eastern side of the state where I was at, you're hunting over bait and I just didn't want to do it. And yeah. so it was satisfying for me to be able to do it on my terms, hunting them. I'm, I'm hunting deer, doing deer things instead of hunting deer coming into us, uh, you know, a bait pile, the size of a yeah. five gallon bucket. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So I liked that part of it personally. Yeah, and awesome. it was just, it was cool. Got to, got to hunt in a different time of the year. I, my season was extended by a month that way because here in Illinois, we, our season doesn't open until October 1st. And so I got a whole, the whole month of September to hunt. Yeah. Which was just a bonus. Mm-hmm. That was, that was uh, definitely welcomed and, and appreciated. It was great. It's awesome. Well, hey, if you ever need somebody to, you know, help you uh, drive up to North Dakota during whitetail season, um, <laughs> I might know somebody. It, <laughs> yeah. No, it, we really we really should talk about that sometime. Yeah, I'd love to. North yeah. Dakota is a, it's an exceptional state. It's, it's truly a sportsman's paradise. All the opportunities they have um, to hunt big game and uh, the fishing opportunities are just, just endless. And, uh, there's a lot of things that are going on up there that nobody knows about, you know, that Mm -hmm. I guess I should say I didn't know about before I went up there Mm -hmm. that are incredible. I mean, just, just phenomenal experiences waiting to be had. And Kent, I know you and I have talked about Lake Sakakawea and it's just, it's underutilized, man. I mean, there's, there's 
unreal amounts of acres up there. Yeah. And very I, few people taking I advantage I really of it. want to go up there. I mean, I was watching a show once and they were hunting pheasants up there and they were just, I mean, they all had to hit their limit on pheasants. And, um, then while they're hunting, here comes trotting out this bull moose, just busting out mm-hmm. of the, out of the, you know, grass or the tall grass around the lake. Mm-hmm. And then after it must've been after they all hit their limit on roosters, they hop out on a boat and go and, you know, they're boating these, you know, 30 inch walleyes, you know, probably five pound walleyes, just, just nuts. I mean, just like Fike said, it's a <laughs> outdoorsman's paradise up there by, mm-hmm. by the looks of it. So I would, I would love to go up there sometime. Well, we it's should. It's a beautiful landscape. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, we, we probably have time for one more quick outdoor story. If you got another one, then we should get to our, sure. uh, our main conversation. Uh, do you got another one that, that you have in mind? Yeah. Um, you know, earlier, uh, we were talking about kind of some, some misfortunate stories and I got that, that one that you'd like me to share for later, but this was, this was, uh, I'd like to share the story of my best worst day of hunting. <laughs> <laughs> That's and, good. We like those. So, yeah, it's good. Yeah, it, it was, it was another building block in my yep. hunting you know, career or, or so far in my life. And, uh, definitely was, it was a very, very tough day, but a great day looking back on it now. Mm-hmm. It was November 9th and it would have been in 2015. Okay. And so at that time I had, we had some really good deer running around on a couple different farms. And I started the morning out in a, in a farm down South in the neighboring County South and there was a deer there that I called Popeye and he was, he was blind in one eye wow. and he was five and a half years old that year. And I'd had, I had sheds off of him. I guess at that point I'd only had the, the one side off of him from his four year old, the previous year's rack mm-hmm. and, uh, got back in a, in a set that I had, hadn't hunted yet that year. And just, just like it, it happens first time in. Here he comes shortly after daybreak and about 30 yards out, I send an arrow and, and, uh, I shoulder punched him, just heard a loud mm. crack and mm. ended up watching him walk off. And, and I got down and did my due diligence to, to look for blood, but I already knew that it was a lost cause. He was, yeah. he was, uh, you know, wasn't, wasn't a lethal wound by any means at all. Yeah. So I ended up, my arrow had only penetrated a couple inches got back up in the tree and I was talking with another one of my close buddies. He suggested I just stick around there, just stay in that tree. And, and, uh, I had a perfect wind. It was a Southeast wind. And that's exactly what I was waiting for, for another great set on a neighboring Mm -hmm. farm, a few miles North. Mm -hmm. So around lunchtime, I did end up making the move to this other farm on that particular farm. I was hunting a deer. There's a little town right there. It's not even a town. There's a few people that live there and there's a church. It's Norwood. And then I had this buck that I've been getting pictures of since 2012. And he was a mainframe 10 pointer. He always do some stickers and things, but so he was the Norwood 10. So I called him Norton. Nice. So <laughs> Nor- and I'd, I'd only ever seen Norton one time. And it was previously during that same, that same year and then 2015. And it was on my walk out. Um, I saw him crossing the road when I was on my way to my pickup, but I'd never seen him before that. And he's a giant deer. I mean, we're talking, uh, you know, gross and 
the one seventy ish range. Yeah. And uh so ended up got into my stand. It was early and I'd, I'd been seeing some good movement already. And, and I looked to the West and there, here comes a doe and right behind her, you know, 30, 40 yards behind her is Norton. And I, I recognized him instantly. And that was the first time I'd seen him in the stand. And, and at, yeah. at that year, I believed that to him to be either seven and a half, eight and a half years old. Wow. Uh, wow. Hard to say when I first was getting pictures of him, if he was four or five, but he was a giant. You know, when I first got pictures of him, you know, mid 150s, 160 inch class year. Yeah. And he was always in that 160, 175 ish range. Um, but it's an old giant and it was just, it was incredible to watch him chase that doe. I mean, just the excitement in his face. I mean, it was just, it was so cool to see a deer of that magnitude, mm. you know, just, just to be a part of that, that, ex- yeah. it's just, you know, I always think of myself, I'm like the boogeyman up in the tree. I mean, I don't, I don't push <laughs> deer. I don't try to make deer, deer do things that they don't want to do. I'm just, I'm just out there with them and that's how yeah. I hunt them. And so when you get, I mean, I do this stuff for hours and hours and hours on end year after year and yeah these kind of experiences are they're just they don't come very often yeah and uh so here comes the deer of my dreams it's a deer of a decade and i believe and yes just and maybe longer i mean with his age and everything about him the history was just big it was a big opportunity and made his way into 20 20 yards 21 yards Mm-hmm. And I sailed one right under his, right under his chest, oh, cut the hair oh, off his brisket, and oh. uh, just completely, just completely failed. <laughs> it was just one of those things where, you know, I, I was having, I was really having some some troubles with target panic, and I was having a hard time with holding my pen where I wanted it to be. So mm-hmm. I, I was, I was, I was in a really bad habit of dropping my bow into the target, into where I wanted it to go. I, my pen would hover. Mm slightly above where I want to go and then I'll drop it in and, and release and it'll go there. Right. I work straight in the backyard. Uh, yeah. You know, I work straight in the backyard or straight in the 3d range, but you get a uh, seven or eight year old, 170 inch deer in front of you. Even at 20 yards. Um, I just dropped my arm below him, just, just collapsed. And mm. so it, that was a day of, of two absolutely incredible experiences, two shot opportunities on five plus year old deer. <laughs> And, oh, wow. uh, didn't, didn't, uh, didn't, didn't come home with either of them. And now on the Popeye, it's a happy story because I did kill him the next year. Uh, Norton, nice. that didn't, that didn't work out. He was actually killed by a, a neighboring bow hunter probably four or five days after I had missed him. So, okay. He got, he got older seven or eight, like I said, and, and started to slip up a little bit. And he'd lived all that time and I'd never seen him. And then to see him two times in one season and for the neighbor about a half mile away to, to kill him. Uh, he was yeah. definitely on his feet a lot that year. Yeah. Very interesting wow. deer. Deer that taught me a lot, but uh, very cool. So that's my, that's one of my favorite stories. Now I, I couldn't hardly stomach telling it to anybody for a couple of years, but, uh, yeah, yeah, I imagine so something I can look back on now and, and be pretty happy with that. Those, those are, those are, uh, th- those are doctorate degree classes in, uh, <laughs> in deer hunting right there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It was, uh, it was a day. So yeah, that's that. That's my, that's my best worst day of hunting. And I, it'll be hard for me to top it, but I'm sure someday I'll, 
I'll goof up a couple times in the same day again. I don't know. Yeah, it happens for sure. For sure. Well, let's, uh, let's get into, uh, the main focus here tonight because it ties so closely to what you were just talking about there. You were, sounds like hunting the rut that, that day and getting to see some of that cool rutting activity and, and honestly, why all of us whitetail addicts, why we uh, get so crazy about November and that is the rut. Yep, right. So what we kind of want to do here is, is cover the basics first before we kind of start doing maybe almost like rapid fire questions here about, specific tactics for hunting the rut and uh what we want to start with is what the rut is so i know a lot of guys try to break it down into phases if that's how you feel you like to talk about it then that'd be great but if you have another way of of kind of describing what what the rut is as a hunter um go for it but but um how would you explain the rut and and really the different parts of the rut okay so I'm going to back it up just a little bit. So most everything in a deer's life is um, dictated by photo period. So that would be the amount of, of daylight in a day. So in the right. fall, this time of year, daylight is, is decreasing. The, the amount of consecutive hours of daylight, of minutes of daylight, is decreasing every day. Come about tail end of August, first part of September, it's, it's unreal, and at least in this area. Uh, they will all start to shed their velvet. There's an uptick in the amount of testosterone that their bodies are producing. Their mm-hmm. necks are starting to swell. Other parts of their bodies are starting to swell. I mean, they're turning into a whole different, a whole different animal. Yeah. And yeah. it's, it's absolutely incredible. Their, their velvet will come off 70 to 80% of the velvet comes off in, in five to seven day period around here. Wow. You know, from the first to the seventh of September, I mean, it's, I, I would, I feel confident saying 70, 80% of velvet's off. So as that, the same things are happening to does. And as we get closer into the tail end of October, uh, a lot of times, last couple of days of October, first couple of days of November, uh, one of the first does will come in heat. It's just like anything else in nature. It's a bell curve. And you're going to mm-hmm. have one come in heat, and then maybe a couple more. And then, you know, middle of November, we're that's when the majority of our does are in heat at the kind of center of the bell curve. And then it tapers off again, but it's mm-hmm. the whole month, the, the rut, the, you know, what we talk of talk about as the rut as hunters is the activities that are associated with the breeding season. Right. right. But the rut itself is, is not, you know, people say, well, where's the rut at this year? I'm not seeing bucks chasing does. Well, the rut is still happening. Those are right. being bred. It, there's yeah. different conditions that are, that are telling these deer to do it, you know, they're, they're conducting their day to day differently. Maybe it's really warm out and they're kind of staying in one spot during daylight hours and running around more at night. Yeah. Um, but there's, there's a lot of different factors that play into it, but those are getting bred every year. There's fawns that show up in middle of May to the first part of June every year. And that's telling me that they were bred yep. in the first part of November to, to middle of November. Hmm. So, Anyhow, I feel that, uh, you know, what we think of as the rut is the chasing period. It's scrapes, it's rubs, it's all these other things that deer do that are associated with the breeding season, but it's not really, you know, the, the rut is, it, you ask people that raise deer on a deer farm, their does are coming in heat. It, it can be within 24 hours from year to year. That's specific right. doe, depending right. on the photo period. She's coming back in heat every year at the same time. Yeah. And it's the same thing with wild deer too. 
It's that mm-hmm. consistent. It's just like their velvet shed. It is that consistent. Yeah. I, I don't care about the moon. I don't care about the mm. heat. I don't mm-hmm. care about any of it. I care about the date on the calendar. Yeah. But if the date on the calendar is 80 degrees, that isn't good for us as hunters. Right. But it's still that doe's going to come in heat. That doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. So anyhow, I don't know if I answered your question completely or not, but to me, you know, we got breeding and then we got rutting type activities and it's all centered around photo period and, you know, kind of your, for that area, we'll say it, it varies. You know, the dates that I talk about are for Northwestern, West Central Illinois. Um, it's going to be different further North or South that you go. All right, you guys are in big time luck today. Not only are you getting to listen to this killer interview with the uh, big buck killer himself, Mr. Garrett Gary Fike, mm-hmm. but you get a tip of the day from the the maestro of <laughs> the maestro of what do, what do I want to say here? Buck slang. Uh, <laughs> I like that. We'll go with that. Okay. All right. So the <laughs> so you get your tip of the day here with the maestro of buck slang, Mr. Brandon Martin. Take it away, hey. Brandon. Yes, sir. So today, kind of a tip on the scent protection side of things. You guys probably remember from uh, the interview that we did with Jeremiah Haas, just how he was talking about how he doesn't even wear, you know, his his you know boots, his outer layer of gear, you know, when he's gassing up at a, at a gas station, things like that. And so, kind of like amplifying, you know, kind of going off of that line of thinking. Um, one of the big things, you know, I know as we get into the rut and whatnot, you know, that's going to probably be the time of year. I know it is for me and for a lot of people when you're likely to be hunting with a group of guys or a group of ladies. Um, you know, maybe you're you're not necessarily hunting in the woods together, but you're coming back together afterwards. Um, you're meeting at the truck. You're going to a gas station you're going to a diner you know that's we've got a diner spot you know here in delaware that's like our spot you know that's where we go afterwards we we probably love it just about as much as we love you know actually being out there ourselves hunting getting back together and and talking uh shop and whatnot so you know the tip would be you know take your boots off take your outer layer of gear off and and don't just take it off and leave it in the truck take it off spray it down if you read a lot of the 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 instructions for the the you know most popular um scent you know protection you know sprays on the market um it becomes powerful when you can spray it and actually let it just sit and air out for a while and so if you're able to do that you know it's it's a simple thing um, but if you're able to do that, you're just going to give yourself that much more protection because, you know, you, you consider you're going to a gas station, you're going to a diner, you're going somewhere where you're going to pick up scent. You pick up a lot more scent than you realize. Um, so your ability to do that and kind of protect that outer layer of things is really great. Me personally, I don't ever wear my boots. Um, I, I only wear my boots hunting. So I'm going to have them in the back of the truck on my way to the hunting property. As soon as I'm done hunting, I take them off, put on sneakers get in the truck that's just kind of a that's probably the number one thing that you can do to protect yourself before in between hunts things like that because it's those little things that make the biggest difference and so that extra just protection tip when you're talking about especially during the rut making sure that you're putting down as little scent as possible as you enter the woods is huge so remember take it off take the take the boots off take the outer layer off but don't just take it off spray it down real good 
Um, a lot of that stuff works really well when it can have a chance to be sprayed down. You know, not to say it's not helpful to do that as you go in the woods. I think that's helpful as well, but spray it down, let it sit. So that way, when you come back out of the area that you're in, you're ready to put that outer layer back on. You're ready and rocking to go. Excellent tip. Yep. I, I think, and Brandon's in agreement and, uh, even our, our friend Jeremiah Haas that Brandon mentioned is, is in an agreement scent matters and it can yeah. definitely affect the outcome of your hunt and definitely affect the number of deer you're able to see throughout your hunt and yes. um, even if they aren't necessarily the deer you're after that little jolt of positivity mm-hmm. of being able to see more deer can keep you in the stand longer and then hopefully have that interaction with the buck you're looking for so yes. thank you for that brandon now let's get yeah. back to our interview with uh, mr Garrett Fike on Rut Tactics. Something that when when Brandon and I were, were playing in the show, something Brandon thought would be a good question to ask, and I'm going to let him kind of go after this one here. Uh, you mentioned a little bit there with your ratio of of does and bucks, and of course you were coming at it more from the standpoint of how many does are in heat right now. And so let's kind of take that a step further and just talk about that that ratio of, of does to bucks during the rut. So, Brandon, I'm going to actually turn this one over to you here just to make sure that your question is effectively uh, communicated. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, you know, those of us who, you know, study deer hunting a lot and, 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 and things, you know, we know that the, you know, one of the popular talking points, you know, is the buck to doe ratio. And, you know, what many hunters look for is, is a one-to-one or a one-to-two ratio. And, and of course we know that depending on the part of the country and, and different things, it it can look, it can be one to five, it can be one to 10. Um, Garrett, do you have a, a thought on things in terms of, you know, what you look for, do you manage your hunting properties for success in this way, you know, kind of leading up to that time of the year? What are your thoughts on things with that? Yeah, I guess I don't have a specific number that I'm looking for, that specific mm-hmm. ratio, but I do know that uh, you don't want, you do not want a pile of does in just a few bucks. That's pretty yeah. obvious. Anybody can can come come to that conclusion. Yeah. But I will say, we've got some farms that have the does and they're phenomenal come, come right because we have numbers, you know, maybe, right. uh, you know, neighbor down the road, you know, Bob, the, the property manager, he's, he's killing does like crazy. He's trying to, yeah. he's trying to make sure he gets to that one to one or one to two. Well, yeah. his bucks, they don't, they don't feel like fighting ever over every last doe on, on, you know, Bob, the manager's farm. So yeah. they're, they're coming to maybe to my area for some more easier pickings because we got tons of does and they're in heat and they're, they're ready. And, uh, yeah. so I think there's just like anything else in life, it's balance. And, yeah. uh, so, you know, I guess if I was going to put a number to it, maybe, uh, a buck to a couple does. Yeah. Um, I think the key thing is to try to get, to bring up your number of mature deer, Mm-hmm. So it's it's more of I, I worry more about the age structure than uh, of my box in particular than I do of my ratio of box to does. Sure, yeah, it's good. It's good. Yeah, and, but with that, yeah. So you can go ahead. 
it's just there there's not going to be three or four mature bucks around if there's only three or four mature does it just ain't yeah. gonna happen yeah they're gonna spread out and they're gonna find more so yeah. i i don't i don't mind having plenty of does around well and and you know you're right too because you know even though even though you know, a certain ratio is good to shoot for, you know, unless you have a large swath of area, it is really hard to control those numbers. And like you said, you know, if you have the does, you know, the conventional wisdom, you know, is is you hunt the does, you look for the doe bedding areas. And if you've got the does, you know, the bucks are going to come looking for them. So, I mean, so it sounds like that's kind of, kind of your mindset with things. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think, uh, you know, when there is some increased competition due to fewer amounts of does, it mm-hmm. does, uh, those, those rut, those things that deer are doing during what we call the rut, the scraping, the rubs, all the mm-hmm. time. I think that's intensified. Yes. Um, it just, you know, it's, it's it just, you can draw a lot of comparisons between deer and, uh, you know, humans or whatever. Right. Sure. I think about it that way all the time. And, uh, you know, it's just, if you don't have to compete, it, you know, you can be a little pudgy or have that <laughs> pizza or whatever, you know, but, you know, you don't have to be on right. your game all the time, but right. if you're, if you're competing with everybody else, you got to strut your stuff a little bit. Yeah. And so I think yeah. that, that, uh, you definitely see that I've, I, I've, I've been on farms where I just not seeing the, the rut sign and, and that's, that's, uh. I think that's at least part of why I see that maybe it's too many does. Yeah, it's good. That's really good. Well, what would you, what would you say in terms of like the pressure side of things and early season, do you have some tips for some of the listeners out there that would, you know, you're, you're looking to preserve the integrity of a property, you know, you're trying to get towards that key time, you know, do you have any tips for, you know, how you kind of try to be purposeful on that hunting pressure side of things with, with being careful with things? It's, the, the hunting pressure for dad and I is, is everything yeah. we've transitioned, uh, you know, it's night and day compared to, we used to hunt some of our best stuff as soon as we could, because we were so excited, you know, that yeah. was 10 years ago. And now uh, as crazy as sounds, sometimes our best stuff never gets hunted because we're just waiting for the opportune time. And that's, that's not always the right thing to do. But the point being is don't get in there and blow your, think your, your sets up too early. Um, yeah. it's incredibly important and I know everybody's excited opening day comes around and there are some good opportunities and keep yeah. in mind, I'm just talking about my area. I don't have a whole lot of, you know, I've hunted white Hills in North Dakota and Illinois. So there's parts of the country I know are better early season than others. Yeah. For me here, unless I get a really hard cold front, I'm not that excited until about the 25th of October. And yeah. I don't go to any of my interior sets. Yep. And by interior, I mean inside the timber. I'm mm-hmm. hunting field edges. I'm hunting easy in and outs. Yep. And I, I'm just tiptoeing around. And yeah. And once it's go time and it's late October, first part of November, okay, now it's time to go in. And I'm yeah. killing these deer on my first or second sit in. And it's right. because I haven't pressured those spots. And that's, yeah. there's nothing that's impacted my hunting success more so than that is managing the pressure that you just said so just talked about, about that yeah and you you just talked about that power of like the first sit 
you know, it, you finally get to that point, you know, wind's right, you know, the, the cold fronts come in, it's later October, and that power of being in a spot the first or second time of the year, I mean, what a difference that makes. It's unreal. Yeah. Because, as, you know, we all, we like to think that we're pretty good hunters and we're figuring the deer out and everything else, but I promise you, they're figuring us out faster than we're figuring them out. <laughs> right. And well we got to keep the element of surprise on yeah. our side. And the only way we can do that is by staying out because there is no tiptoeing around a farm without them knowing about it. It doesn't happen. Yeah. You can yeah. minimize your impact, mm-hmm. but you can't, ele- I mean, the only way you can have zero impact is have zero exposure. I mean, not even yeah. be in there. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that with the exposure side of things, what, what have you found to be helpful as you, you know, transition trail cams, you know, do you run the trail cams as you get into the pre-rut side of things? You know, what do you, what are some, you know, popular things that you found to be, you know, have some success with kind of taking inventory and seeing what's going on, you know, as you move towards, towards that initial pre-rut phase? Almost all of my trail cams are along field edges on scrapes. Nice. Yeah. And I feel like that's the best way that I can take inventory. Mm -hmm. I don't use trail cameras as an opportunity to scout or to try to pattern deer. Mm -hmm. I'm simply placing them there to get pictures of deer. So I know what's on the farm. Right. I, I don't have a bunch of cameras. I don't like spending a bunch of time on the farm. I'm not a big cell cam guy. So mm-hmm. me, it's just so I can know what's out there. Yeah. And, uh, so with that being said, they're on field edges and mm-hmm. as soon as the crops are out, I'm driving to them because yeah. that's, that's a really big point too. You know, that there's, it's common. I mean, how many times have you guys experienced it? You're out squirrel hunting and you're walking right up on deer or right. vice versa or, or what, a, or it's deer season. You're walking up on turkeys or it's turkey season. You're walking up on deer because you're, Sometimes you're moving different, just like the way you're going about things is sometimes I like to try to be like the cat, the guy that's uh farms in the area that's going and checking on his cows or I'm yeah. the guy that farms the row crop acres or whatever. I'm going back there to look at some fence. They're not, they hear that stuff every single day. Yeah. It's not unusual to them, but mm. I mean, they just, them deer pick up on, on when you're trying to be sneaky. I know yeah. guys that run their four wheelers and they won't even, even if their trail cameras are a hundred yards in, they leave their four wheeler on. Right. That's where they want, they want the deer to think that they're still there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's just, you gotta, you gotta try to think about what you're doing and are you being, they, they'll pick up on if you're being obvious. It's yeah. think about your dog. Mm-hmm. You know, if your dog knows you're getting ready to hit out the door, I mean, you may have not have done anything, but they recognize it. That's true. And they yeah, think you're getting point. ready to go somewhere fun. Yeah, they right. Think you're going to get their medicine that they don't like to take. <laughs> right, right. And you never did anything unusual, or so you thought. Yeah. But they picked yeah, up on right. it. Mm-hmm. Deer do yeah. too. They're that smart. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's a that's a really high level tip there, and a good one for new hunters and veteran hunters. Mm-hmm. Uh, just just. Don't, don't underestimate the, the ability to evade and survive that the whitetail deer possesses. I mean, it's, it just blows me away constantly how, how good they are at staying alive, really. <laughs> yeah. 
Pretty impressive. Uh, well, and it, and it and it speaks too to when it's be and I, I like what you're saying too because it speaks to the to the nature of you know a lot of us you know we've got families we have a lot of responsibility you know and and so while it may be possible for for the pros out there to get out x number of days a season you know maybe they've got you know 20 different properties they can you know for the for the average guy you know or, or girl who's into hunting you know man you might be hunting some state land you might have maybe one piece two pieces three pieces. i mean if you've got a few pieces you're really blessed you know to hunt yourself so i mean the the thought process of being able to just be careful about getting out there getting out there sparingly being cautious you know it's it's you know you're paying attention to the time aspect as well to keep everything in balance so it makes it more doable in terms of realizing success definitely no that's very well said and it's a good those are all good points yep for sure well you kind of started getting into this a little bit but i want to i want to kind of um uh, address a little bit more before we focus a little bit. And we've also kind of talked about this too, with kind of hunting from the outside in as the the season goes on. But I want to talk a little bit more specifically about maybe some of your entry and access or your entry and exit um, access tactics that you have during the rut. But before we do, like, can you describe those, maybe three days of the season um, that you have to be in a stand if at all possible for you personally? It's the 9th, 10th, and 11th of November for me. Mm. Those are the three most magical days. I used to be, I used to subscribe to the, you know, hunting the early November, late October. I mean, like I said earlier, I had some fantastic opportunity, but if you want the best bang for your buck, I said mm-hmm. that was like hitting the lottery. If you hunt the ninth, tenth, and eleventh, you can you can hit it every year. I mean, it's just yeah. that good. That yeah. is, there's more big bucks on their feet. There's does that are in heat. There's bucks looking for the you know that they're they've already bred does by then. The first yeah. does have come in heat. Sure, he's he's on to his next one. And but you're catching them in between does, and um, you know these these bucks aren't when I say they're coming off a doe and going to the next one, it's not like they get done with, with one and then they're immediately on the hunt. They, there's still some recuperation time and yeah. they, they do some normal, you know, deer things. They're not just running around wild. Otherwise people would see them all, all the time, you know, and it just, they still are, they're very careful and they're methodical and what, the, what they're doing, even though they are, they're not on their A game necessarily that time of the year, and that's why it's such a good hunt for us. We capitalize on that. Yes. But uh, the ninth, tenth, and eleventh are, if you got the right weather, I, I don't think there's a better three days to be in the woods, and it's good all day long. So yeah, I'm not a big, I'm not big on all day sits in one spot. Mm-hmm. I like to get out and stretch my legs. I yeah. like to yeah. make sure I'm warmed up. I, you know, there's guys out there that are much you know bigger men than i am that they can sit all day in the cold and and be fine but i tell you what i'm i'm out there to have fun too and enjoy myself and yeah and if that means getting down out of the tree and moving to a different set on that farm or maybe even Mm -hmm. switching farms and getting into some new scenery it keeps me fresh it keeps my mind in the game it keeps me warmed up gives me a chance to snack water whatever yeah and so that, that's kind of what I do. I do do some all-day sets 
it's in spots that are very hard to get in and out of. Mm-hmm. And that's the only time I'll do them. But uh, anyhow, all day is good during any of those three days. Ninth, 10th, 11th. It's good. I had more success in the 9th, 10th, 11th than in the 11th specifically. I killed, I got two deer that I are hanging in my, my house right now that were killed on the 11th. And nice. like I said, those two deer from my, my, my sad story earlier, um, <laughs> those are both on the 9th. <laughs> and I've had just, the 11th has always been, it's Veterans Day, even hunting when I was in school, we would have, um, you know, that Veterans Day off. And, sure. and even if yep. it wasn't, if it didn't fall on the 11th, you know, or it always falls on the 11th, but this, you know, depending on when they observe it, um, the 12th, 13th, they can all be good too. Mm-hmm. But 9th, mm-hmm. 10th, 11th. Yeah. Now, yeah. now, have you, have you, do you, you know, prefer, you know, portables, you know, portable sets? Do you change your setups, you know, as you transition into that phase of the year? What's your, you know, what's, what are you looking for, you know, when, when it comes to the sets? I'm a big hang on tree stand guy mm-hmm. and I'm not moving them around. Yeah. I like them because they're what I'm most comfortable in and I feel like I can get them in the widest variety of trees that offer yep. me the most cover. So that's why I like, I've, I've always liked hang on stands. Um, there's some really nice ladder stands that guys like, but I'm a hang on guy and I still use a lot of screw in tree steps and I'm in the process of transitioning to tree sticks, but hang ons, they give you the opportunity to get into some gnarly trees. Yeah. And those are the ones that offer you the most cover yep. and that's where you want to be. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm hanging these and I'm trimming these in February, March, April. Mm, mm-hmm. And I mean, there, there stands that I prepped this last spring that I won't be in until November. Yeah. I mean, and they're a long ways from there. There'll be zero human intrusion for that many months. That's amazing. You know, yeah. Nine, mm-hmm. yeah. nine months. Yeah. And, uh, and then I slip in there and then that's, that's when we kill them. That's when dad and I kill them. It's, we're not, I've never killed one, uh, running and gunning or hanging and banging or whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. I'm picking these spots out. You, you know, I, I'm always thinking about, I mean, I'm constantly thinking about where I need to place these sets and what's, you know, even when I'm in my tree, I, I've had stands in five different trees and all be within 20, 30 yards of the same spot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it's just always, it's constantly tweaking and you got to be really meticulous and it's all that prep work up front and earlier, the better it all pays off. And as far as the trimming goes, if it's a first year set, you may have to go back in like this time of year, trim things back. But mm-hmm. once you've had it in there for a year, there's really, you know, your big bulk of your trim is going to come when you first hang that stand. Yeah. Anything after that is just going to be clipping back some small stuff. So you can trim it back a little bit further than what you would really like in February, March, knowing that things are going to grow on a little bit and you're going to be fine. Right. That's, sounds so like you are, you're you're all about the preparation. I'm all about the preparation. I'm not. Yeah. I, I don't have time to hang stands in November. That's <laughs> yeah. why yeah. I need to be in a yeah. tree. Yeah. And it's great. I mean, I people that do it and do it like on public ground 
I have the utmost admiration for them because I know how difficult that is and it takes takes a lot of work and I just I put in the work just not at the same time as I'm hunting I like to put that in ahead of time so then when it comes hunting time I can just focus on that yeah it's good sure that's what works for us yeah let's uh let's talk about this a little bit more here with so you talked about you're you're slipping into these properties we also want to make sure that we're not you know doing things that that are alerting the deer that hey there's a predator on the property right and you're giving it months and months and months to cool down as you just talked about which i think is a that's a great tip in there you know just i've had the interview with episode eight with with uh chris dyer he um kind of says the same thing he's like his his main reason is he wants to avoid the dog days of summer being out there messing around with stands and the heat and the poison ivy sure. right? yeah right right Brandon? yeah the poison ivy. yes tell me about it my goodness yeah <laughs> and uh the, sure. the, the nettles and everything else that's that's out oh. there to get you but uh you know that's a that's a good hidden tip the the more you can just stay out of those core areas and especially when you have a situation like fike here where these are these are properties that he has permission on which doesn't always mean this but oftentimes it does the person who owns it probably doesn't have much interest in hunting it themselves um, maybe they're farming, they're just too busy, you know, they're too busy to get out there and, and spend the time hunting or, um, they just simply aren't really interested in hunting for themselves. And so mm-hmm. the ground around them gets worked, you know, while they're, they're planting and harvesting and, and even in the summer, spring and stuff like that. But those areas can, where your stand is at, if you find a good spot like that, it, it remains largely unbothered. So then fike when you show up finally you know it's it's that time to it's go time to to hunt do you have any like really specific tactics for getting to your stand in a way that's not going to just be blowing deer out left and right well i will say i use um cricks drainages ditches of any sort as available and if i have them i'm going to use them and i'm going to put I'm not a big fan. I've done the hip waiter thing. I don't like them. They make me mm-hmm. hot. It's something yeah. extra to hang on to. I've got guys that have pairs and they'll just wear them into their stand and they're comfortable enough to do that. It's not for me. Uh, yeah. I just got a pair of knee high rubber boots and I'll walk along the edges and it's, it's a, it's a bulletproof way to get into your sets. It's uh, you know, you're, you're not laying down any, any scent and, uh, you're out of the line of sight. So I use cricks and ditches where available. Also, one of the things that I've done, I, I don't, I don't know if this is a, a great tip, but it's something that dad hadn't really worked toward. And I hadn't done until up here in the last few years. And I know it's specific to this area, but a lot of these farms that I'm hunting, they're smaller woodlots that are surrounded by ag. And mm-hmm. a lot of times like, I'm just going to try to paint a picture for you. I'm I'm thinking about one of my farms in particular. So almost all of the, almost all of the habitat is on the North half of this section. The South half is all ag. I want to hunt my farm with the North wind. Do I want to start on the North road 
my farm only goes halfway back to the section mm-hmm. to you know the halfway line so mm-hmm. if i want to get back there with a the north wind i got to walk through my entire farm to get on the south end of it where i can effectively right. hunt with the north wind which negates right. what i just did because now i got a scent trail going yeah. through my whole farm yeah right any deer that moves through there east and west is gonna smell me so the way to circumvent that is and a lot of times around here, it's not hard because it's just row crop ground. If the crops are out, go talk to the farmers. Come in through your neighbor's farm that may right. not even be huntable. Mm-hmm. Get, get, just get permission for access, yeah, strictly access. Yeah. You're not mm-hmm. hunting. You're not spending any extra time there than what you need to. You're just using it to walk across. Yeah, that's good. And now I come in from that farm. I come into that farm from the south. All the habitats to the north of me. I get in there with the north wind. Then bucks are running. They're checking the downwind side of all that habitat. And there ain't nothing downwind of me around that wide open field because there's no reason for them to be there. That's good. And it's a it's killer. It's absolutely dynamite. But if I don't have access to come through the neighbor's farm to the south, mm. it's all wrecked. Yeah. So I, I think that's one thing that I've tried to do more of. I think a lot of people could benefit from because you talk about like what, how we see things and Kent, you're talking about how we get narrow, narrowly, a narrow focus and right. thinking about our farm. And it's like, it's our County, it's our township, it's our section, it's our farm, it's our stand. I mean, it gets smaller, 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 smaller. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I know that myself, I, I fall in the, I do it all the time and I have to remind myself to stop. But I think about these farms, like with our boundaries, but the, the deer don't, they don't see, yeah. They don't see property lines. They don't see boundaries like that. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's a lot more that we could get into that with just as far as, you know, hunting tactics and, and how they're using that property or that, that area, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't want to, you don't want to get so focused in on your 80 acres that you overlook the opportunity to utilize the acres of the South with no trees on it or nothing Yeah. that are going to, I mean, it's, it's a game changer. It will change the way you hunt. Yeah. It changes the amount of success you have. It's, it's unreal. Yeah, that's that's really a, a <laughs> excellent tip to to follow there. I mean, wow, what a what a game changer because we've all been there, you know. That that if you've hunted long enough, you're just like, man, there's this is where I want to hunt and the wind isn't exactly what I want, but it's it's okay except for getting there. And so yeah, just well, that, and and, that and you know picture. what, and you know what, what I thought of while Garrett was saying that was, you know, sometimes it can be a little hard to ask people, hey, can I hunt on your property? Um, but what what's a lot easier, like Garrett mentioned, was, hey, would you would you mind if I just had access to go, you know, to to you know, walk through the property to for the purpose of accessing my other side. The cool thing about something like that is that really could develop relationships that may lead to mutually beneficial things. You know, you may, you know, sometimes it's hard to, you know, you've got maybe a, a fellow landowner, you know, next to you. Maybe you have a good relationship with them, but you know what? Maybe you just never connect with them. Maybe you don't. But then you finally have that opportunity instead of saying, hey, can I hunt your land? Say, hey, can I can I use your land as an access point? Hey, you know what? You can use mine as an access point. You know, if you've got to come to, you know, on the other side of things, as long as we're communicating, whatever, whatever, whatever. And, you know, sometimes something like that could end up resulting in maybe a great relationship, maybe an opportunity to be able to have more land to hunt. So, I mean, it could be a great way to bridge the gap with, 
you know, surrounding landowners as a way to initially start that conversation and start that relationship. That's, that's a great point. And, uh, just, just to follow up with it and add, add something else to it is to add to that point. Um, yeah, this year I'm, we shed hunted a farm, this farm that I'm talking about to the South and the farm that I'm imagining, you know, when I'm explaining this to mm-hmm, you guys, mm-hmm. there's just a few grassy draws in it. There's hardly any trees, Yeah, but we got permission to, you know, I got permission to, to walk through it during hunting season and they did mm-hmm. give us permission to shed hunt it yeah. and picked up, picked up an awesome antler on that farm actually. Huh, nice. It's a perfect place to look for sheds. Yeah. It's grassy draws leading out into wide open, you know, this year was corn, cut corn yeah. field. Well, yeah. Perfect. Mm-hmm. You no, know, it's yeah. like a shed hunter's dream. Yeah. So but just, just to your point, it does open up opportunities to network with neighboring landowners and yeah. uh, it opens doors to, to potential hunting opportunities and, and everything else. Yeah. And it's always a good thing to know your neighbors and know what's mm-hmm. going on in the area. Mm-hmm. Uh, you never want to, you never want to try to shut somebody out because they might have some, they might have some knowledge that could be really useful to you and vice versa. Yeah. And it's better yes. off to, for everybody to work together. Yeah. And well said. You know, I, I, I shoot a deer that goes on their farm. I got their number already. I already have a relationship established with them. That's yep. exactly what I was going to mention. Say, hey, you know, I'm heading over that way. I shot a deer. It's on your farm. They go back. They send back, hey, you need any help? You know, nice. we'll down. I yeah. mean, that's just how it works. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Uh, so it's, it's all good. Communication yeah. is it's great. Mm-hmm. Love it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yep, that was the exact point I was gonna gonna make there, and one that new hunters need to be aware of. Um, I don't. We've talked about this a little bit, just how it's one of the greatest laws in Iowa. <laughs> is you can go on any property to trail a deer without permission, as long as you don't have your weapon with you, and so you can recover that game. But that is. I, I would even say most states don't have that law, don't don't yeah. have that freedom. And yeah, so exa- I would agree with you. Exactly what especially if you're bow hunting, you know, it almost never does a deer tip over dead at impact, you know. <laughs> there's yeah. there's usually gonna be I mean, the the story that you mentioned with your North Dakota buck running about eighty or ninety yards, that's a pretty short that's a pretty short trip right for for being smoked I mean, oh yeah yeah uh, they can go hundreds of yards and oh, oftentimes yeah. onto a neighboring property and boy now you, now you got yourself a whole new level of potential mm-hmm. heartache and so yeah you uh do your homework though build those relationships and it yep. could be just as simple as what what fike mentioned there where it's a it's a quick text and they, they'll even offer to drive their, drive their gator out there yeah. and help you load them up or something. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, that's 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 really a, an excellent thing to, to hit there. Man, we've covered so much stuff, and I still have more questions to ask you, and and uh, we're getting long into the interview here, and it just means we've got to have you back on sometime. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh <laughs> I can do some rapid fire if you got if you got rapid fire questions. I won't I won't uh, get too long winded. You know if that if that helps out or. Well, a couple things that I think would be helpful is I've heard some really good deer hunters talk about they like 
paying attention to the moon, not so much for any kind of like, I don't know, sixth sense that we humans can't perceive or something, you know, but from a very, I would say, common sense way of they'll pay attention to when the the new moon is because there's not as much overhead light from a full moon that they've had a few weeks prior. And it's just a much darker nights. And so it's not as easy to get around and feel safe for them in the nighttime hours. Therefore, They might cheat, you know, getting back to their bed in the morning or coming out a little bit earlier in the evening to try and take advantage of of the light that's there. Have you noticed any kind of pattern with that when that new moon is? Do the deer seem to kind of come out a little bit earlier during the rut or or even any other time that you're hunting? Yeah, um, I I would say so. And dad's been had been monitoring that for years and years and we notice it especially early season we are just not seeing the numbers of deer on their feet early when we have a full moon overhead sure and there's a lot of theories that are involved with you know and i can't even remember all of them but you know a full moon overhead and then to where the full moon's underfoot i think that's something that juries talk a lot about yeah. and they're talking about hunting in the morning and during full moons and I, I don't know. All I know is that evening sets, full moons, not good. Early sure. season. Sure. Yeah. Come come the rut, I, like I said earlier, I really don't care what that moon's doing. Uh, I'm sure it has an effect on them. Mm-hmm. But if it's November, man, you got to be in a tree. And yeah. you can't be worrying about that moon. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that doe estrus is overpowering it, right? Whatever oh, effect. they don't. They don't care about it. They just yep. don't. But, mm-hmm. but they do care about temperature. You know, as far as getting up. I mean, yeah, they want to be running the dough around. But if she's too hot to even get up and run from them, and they they're not really that excited. They're just laying down until cooler temperatures. Yeah, right? and that that has that's way more impactful than the moon. So, I I honestly, I don't pay attention to it and i know there's a lot of guys that do and uh there may be something to it but for me i just know i got to be out there um and I, I just don't i don't worry about all that stuff yeah right barometer if you want to know i mean the number one you got temperature and you got barometer and everybody needs to be paying attention to barometer i don't care if you're hunting or if you're fishing because it's huge mm-hmm. Yeah. And how they know it, I mean, they don't even know that they know it. They just yeah. feel like they're, like, they just feel hungry. And they don't even know why. Well, the, yeah. you know, their bodies are just telling them that it's time to get up and feed because of right. the, what the barometer's doing or what. Yeah. But I, I'm one of those guys, I got some buddies that liked overcast days, a little bit lower pressure days. Not me. Give me a nice, cool, crisp day with a barometer that's over 30 and mm-hmm. rising. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that that's and the higher the better. I mean, it if it's thirty point three. I mean, in this part of the world, it was different up in North Dakota. I saw barometer readings higher than I've ever seen down here. I saw them get up to thirty point seven, thirty point eight. Mm-hmm. It's unreal. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, if you get thirty point one, two, three, anything like that around here, it's that's way more impactful, I think, than the moon. Sure. Or, yeah. Sure. Now, now, if you had to, if we had to say, you know, 
for some tips for, you know, the, the first gen hunters out there, you know, what, what would you say, you know, with, you know, within the context of hunting the rut, you know, what would you be, what would you say some of the biggest, you know, mistakes would be, you know, that some hunters, that hunters would make. And you can, I mean, like, like you said, you can list them off, you know, kind of rapid fire, you know, a couple of the kind of the classic mistakes that, that people tend to make. Um, I think that as much as, as we talk about tiptoeing around in the early part of the season, you can't fall into that trap during the rut. During the Mm. rut, you need to get back there. You need to be where the deer are at. That's yeah, all, that's around your doe bedding areas and tight tune them in between a couple different doe bedding areas. That's where you need to be. And yeah, no more playing around out on the field edges. No more just mm-hmm. easy in and out, hundred couple hundred yards in, back out. It, it's there's no time for that. The yeah, the, you got you're getting played your best hand during those yeah. days, and you need yeah. to be gutsy. And uh, you, you're going to blow some deer out. You're going to educate some deer, but. You, you just got to take some chances. So mm. I would say new guys, you got to be aggressive and you yep. got to get back into your sets that you prepped months in advance mm-hmm. and, and hit them and hit them when it's right. And, uh, number two, people talk about not paying attention to the wind mm-hmm. during the rut. I don't believe in that. You got to pay attention to the wind all year long, no matter, no matter what, what it is. And, uh, but with that being yeah. said, we just talked about the barometer a little bit. Mm-hmm. A lot mm-hmm. of new guys don't pick up on this. There's a lot of seasoned veterans that don't pick up on this, but you can get away with murder in a morning set, high pressure. If it's minimal amount of wind, this last November, November 8th, I killed my buck, um, this past season, there was no wind. It was cold. It was like 14 or 15 degrees that morning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As soon as that sun came up. It's all thermals, man. Everything's yeah. going up in the air. Right. I was hunting in an right. area where there's, I mean, I, I I never hunt in bottoms or along the sides of ravines. I'm always on the top because you get down the yeah. bottoms, that's where wind swirls. Yeah. This is about halfway down. I mean, there there's two sections of timber. It's like a, a crossroads of draws that come together, and it's a wind swirl, and mm-hmm. it's just crazy mm-hmm. if the wind's actually blowing. Yeah. Get in there, nice, cool, crisp calm morning high pressure your scent is it, it goes straight up it goes straight up and you can get away with all sorts of things you wouldn't dream of getting away from away with sure um that's that's that great i really like that is, is it's huge and a lot of people don't pay any attention to it but you can get into some stuff that you just never dreamt of with high pressure especially mm. if it's cold and frosty because they they cannot smell where you walked in near as effectively when you're walking on cold, frosty ground as they can on warmer ground. Right. It's right, just like right. tune hounds or anything else. They, they just, they can't, the, the scent molecules must not stick as effectively or, yeah, I don't know what the science is behind it, but mm-hmm. you can get away with a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I would say take advantage of your high pressure situations by pressure. I mean, barometer and, Get into your best spot. It's good. Uh, it's get in nice. where the deer are at. Yeah, be be aggressive. Be willing to take the risk, especially when you get to that time of the year. Yes, it's good. It's good. Now, do you are you um, pretty much solely a bow hunter, or do you do you take advantage of the gun season as it comes in? What, what's your take on it? 
Well, Illinois just just recently here in the last couple of years, they they let us carry uh, archery equipment during firearm season. Okay. So they they used to not do that. They used to now you, I still have to purchase a firearm tag, but I carry a archery tackle during firearm season with a firearm tag. Okay. Okay. So that's uh that's how I do this year. I'm going to mostly focus on my fiance Caitlin. She's going to be um, carrying her slug gun, and we're going to try to get her on a deer. And nice. Uh, I'll probably take my bow along just for just for fun. But uh, mm-hmm. like I said, the focus will be for her to get one. Sure. Just, I just like bow hunting. I have nothing against mm-hmm. gun hunting. Um, I have nothing against it at all. It's just mm-hmm. I, I prefer to hunt with archery tackle. Sure. sure. That's a cool challenge to put on yourself. And for an interview down the road, maybe sometime we could talk a little bit about your work with shooting trad and stuff like that. You know, you know, really primitive <laughs> method of, of bow hunting and just the additional, uh, I don't know, romance to it or That's a great challenge. Word, no, I, I mean, that that's the, no romance. You hit the nail on the head right there. It's, uh, <laughs> it's different. And like you said, we'll have to save that for another conversation because you get me talking trad and, and I start, <laughs> I'll be rambling and going off crazier than I even am now about white tails or yeah, two yeah. things I'm pretty, pretty passionate about. It just, it, uh, and that's what it's all about. I mean, this is why we do it. We do it because it excites us. It gets us, yeah. it gets us pumped up. You know, we live mm-hmm. and breathe it. And, yep. uh, I mean, we're getting ready. We're, we're preparing for this year and I'm thinking about next year. Yeah. July. I'm thinking about fall 2021 <laughs> already, and it just because it never stops. Right. Yeah. It just right. never. Right. It just never stops, and that's why mm-hmm. you know guys like us, we we love it, and it's it's such an incredible incredible venture to to be on because yeah. it just it keeps going. It's it's not like playing sports. It's it's not like you know watching your favorite television series. All them things mm-hmm. come to an end. Right. Yeah, it all comes to an end, and and with hunting and the outdoors, it just it's full circle, and you can always expand on it and bring bring somebody new hunting with you. Mm-hmm. You know, then you have, you have kids, or yeah, I mean, there's just so much. You guys are doing the podcast and getting your writing mm-hmm. articles. I mean, there's just yep. it's unreal. I just well, think it's the I greatest think, thing. I think I think you brought up a very interesting point just a second ago too. You know, you said it's not like you know, your favorite sports show. It's not like, you know, sports in general where, you know, because a lot of the, for, and not, not to say that every person of every age can do every type of hunting, but the interesting thing about hunting or fishing or the outdoors is you can participate in that adventure. You know, you're not watching, exactly. you know, a, a football game on TV and thinking, man, you know, I really miss the high school football days. You know, you you can actually get out there and you are participating in and making an adventure. And I mean, there's yep. something that's primitive, that's cool. You know, as, as, as much technology as we can use now, there's something very primitive about, man, I'm getting out there and I'm getting an opportunity to live an adventure. And I mean, that's, that's a really powerful thing because, you know, for those of us who've been doing it for a long time or even a short time, we can say we we will go out there and you know what maybe it's maybe you don't see a deer or the buck that you're looking for that day but you something something pretty cool probably happened maybe you saw a different species maybe you know you had just maybe you saw an amazing sunset maybe you know something happened that all you know kind of contributes to the overall adventurous side of things and so kind of cool to just jump in and be you know be in the adventure that is so well said um wow 
Yeah. It just, it brings me back that, you know, dad, he always told me, you're going to see something, you're going to take something away every single hunt. Mm. And, and if, you know, and he always told me if, if that's not happening, you need to reevaluate why you're out there doing it. Right. Like said, it's not an experience with what you're after mm-hmm. as far as deer or turkeys or mm-hmm. whatever. I mean, it's, yeah. it's the bird that flew right over your head and you thought was going to land on the bill of your hat. It, it's <laughs> yeah. like, yes, it, it's, it's, you know, it's the squirrels playing around. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's all these little things. Mm. And, uh, and it, you bring something home. There is something memorable from every single time you go a field. Yes. Every yes. time. Yep. And, uh, it's, that's pretty, it's just special. And it's, mm. it's, uh, it's refreshing and it's great to, to visit with somebody like, like you, Brandon, that, that sees it that way and understands mm-hmm. why we're out there and, 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 and gets the value out of it, that it, that it's bringing to us. And so many people yeah. overlook that, that value. Yes. And it's very easy to do. You have sure. to like consciously, you know, sit back and take it all in and say, you know what? This yes. is, this is amazing. Yes. It's incredible. Yep. Well, I, I tell you, I'm, I'm getting chills right now just thinking about it. Cause you know, you just picture, man, you know what I'm thinking of? I'm thinking, man, season's right around the corner, man. It's, it's going to be another time of adventures, you know? I mean, as we've, we had, and I've talked about, you know, every, every hunt, every animal, every, you know, everything that go, you go through, it's a different story. It's unique. It's all part of the overall adventure. And I mean, it's just cool to build that story. And then, you know, the, the thought of, of seeing, you know, new or young hunters get into it and knowing yeah. almost like a, like a parent, you know, we talked about this, you know, as a parent, you know, you thought it was really cool when you made memories growing up and it was really cool, but then you become a parent and you start to see, uh, those memories created in your kids. And it's like, Whoa, your mind almost gets blown. Like, man, this is amazing. And in almost that same way, you know, if you're able to start to create, you know, assist in the creation of that love and passion for the outdoors, much like Garrett, you did with Kent. I mean, wow. How powerful is that to be able to see someone come full circle and, and fall in love with it and start to live their own adventure. I mean, wow. Wow. I mean, that is just so cool. Definitely. And it snowballs. Yeah. You know, the more people that you can reach out to and, and, uh, you know, help instill this, this passion and this wonder, like you say, for the things that we do. And, mm-hmm. uh, it just, it's infectious. Yes. It's infectious. That's the, that's the best and word right there. Infectious. Yes. It just, you can't help but want to share it with people. Mm. And, uh, it, it, and it's a great thing because people need to, we need to recruit hunters, yep. fishermen, outdoorsmen, mm-hmm. period. Yep. Mm-hmm. We're not going to be able to reach everybody, but yep. people like us that talk about hunting in the way that we do, we mm-hmm. talk about the experiences. We talk about the memories. We talk yes. about the people that we get to share these, these experiences with. Mm-hmm. When we go out in the public and we talk about our hunting experiences, the way that we are right now, people respect that. They get that. They yes. understand that. We talk about we, we we talk about the whole hunt. We talk about bringing the deer home, yes. processing yeah. it, cooking it, sharing mm-hmm. it with our friends and family. Mm-hmm. Non-hunters relate to that. Non-hunters get that. Yeah. Non-hunters are the largest sector of our population. Yeah. yeah. The anti-hunters aren't who we got to worry about as far as you know, things changing for us and our future. We're incredibly blessed. We've yeah. got all these opportunities, but, uh, a lot of these opportunities that are in the hands of, of non hunters and, and how they vote 
and, and what they think is right. right. So yeah. we need to all remember and keep in the forefront of our minds that this is, you know, we need to portray ourselves in a way that they get. And how we're mm-hmm. talking tonight is what I feel non-hunters can relate to. And they, they understand that and they get it. It's not about schlocking big bucks and, mm-hmm. you know, all, you know, it just, big bucks hanging out the tailgate. No, I, I just, they don't like that. It's not tasteful. Yeah. It's, it's tacky. Yeah. And, right. uh, but it, so it's just, it's refreshing and it's great to visit with people that, that are on the same page as me. And the more people that we can get on board and, and feel the same way, it's like, it's just, uh, it's a great, it's a great thing. And that, that's what yeah. we need to make sure that, that we can keep the ball rolling and continue to do these things for the rest yes. of our lives so our kids can do them and, and on yes. and on. Yeah. I, I can't, I don't know about you, but I feel amped up right now. I'm like, man, shoot, dude, let's, I go, am... let's go, let's, let's, let's go get some people into hunting right this second. That's man. right. That's right. <laughs> man, I got a couple people on my, uh, uh, on my radar for this fall that yes. I'm, I'm hoping to get out into the woods. Um, mm-hmm. you know, one person in, in my mind is, is, uh, my brother-in-law who, um, has hunted, one other time i believe and uh he just hasn't hasn't been able to uh be able to to carve out the time to get back into it and honestly you know it was kind of a feel-good moment i saw him recently and he's like you know it's like you said on that one episode of the podcast you know (laughs) you listened in huh (laughs) he's like sometimes you just gotta go and Mm. And that's mm-hmm. that is 100% true because of all the things that Fike just mentioned, where you make those memories, share those experiences, and as you mentioned, Brandon, you're actually participating. And mm-hmm. you know, modern man <laughs> has has gotten really good at finding enjoyment by not participating, and right. in so many facets of life, and and that's not how it's supposed to be. You're, it, there is supposed to be that we'll use that word romance again with, mm-hmm. with, with how we go about life. And, um, you know, we talked recently with Jeremiah Haas being part of the dirty fingernail club, you know, get, <laughs> get, getting out there and, and just interacting with our ecosystem and, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, entering the landscape as a predator, like, like our, you know, 15 great grandparents were at one time and, and, (laughs) and just getting a little bit more in touch with, with that side of, of who we are as, as people and as, as our own species and, and, um, yeah, all this stuff. And, and again, goes back to, for me in a big way to Fike, I mean, just, just the, the way he started helping me you know, understand hunting and, and refine and refocus that passion on the outdoors. So Fike, thanks so much for being here tonight, man. We, we got to have you on again. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's been a pleasure guys. And Brandon, it was, it was great to be able to visit with you and, and uh, yes. get to the phone. I hope someday we can, hopefully you'll be in the area and we can meet in person. Uh, yes, I would. I would love that. I'm already looking. I'm already looking forward to meeting in person, and also uh, the second. You know, hopefully the next interview. Maybe we could even have your fiance on. Hopefully she'll have some. You know, great success this year. So I'm, I'm, I'm pulling for you guys. Hope you guys have a great season. I'm really excited to hear all about it. Yeah. No. Uh, likewise. I'm. 
hope wish you the best of luck uh this fall and and through the rest of the summer too fishing and, thank uh, you i'm just i'm very excited for both of you guys um brandon i know you got a little bit more experience growing up and it sounds like your dad was involved with it but mm-hmm. again it's just man i i uh it's it's incredible and it's inspiring i I know that you're giving me some credit for influencing you, but a lot of this has been done by yourself. I mean, 95% of it. And uh, don't cut yourself short because what you're doing is very, very hard. It's incredibly difficult for somebody that's new to hunting and to start out fresh with no Mm. experiences or limited experience. It's incredible, man. And I'm just, I'm super proud of you. And uh, I'm proud to call you my friend. And uh, just, good luck, you know, with everything. And if you ever need, never need help, you got my number, just give me a shout. But Oh, for it, sure. There's, just, there'll be lots of those moments, buddy. <laughs> it's, oh, man. I just, it's incredible what you're doing, man. It really is. It, it, uh, it doesn't go unnoticed by, by me anyhow. It's, it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine. I've just been so fortunate my whole life to have, you know, being there with dad, gutting deer or you know mm-hmm. it looking at tracks looking at poop anything yeah. <laughs> you know it just, i mean really it's just it's all part of it and yeah. and uh, i just it it just blows my mind that you're having the success that you are late in life and this goes to show you know it's it's out there and it's available to to anybody mm-hmm. yep. and, and and everyone needs to I wish ever, you know, more people would take advantage of it. You know, we'll, we're all, uh, we all like to have our little honey holes and things to ourselves too. I mean, hunting to me is a, um, it's a kind of a solitary in the, the hunt itself, but everything else we, we share together, the scouting, the shed hunting, the hanging deer, butchering deer. Mm-hmm. That's all yep. the social part of it. But, uh, it, it would be incredible if we could all challenge ourselves to introduce one person you know if all of us as sportsmen yeah challenge ourselves to introduce one one new person um what a difference that can make well yeah. said yeah yeah that's a that's a great spot to, to end this one uh thanks so much again fike for coming on and, and i can't wait to see what what you turn up this fall and and uh i'm definitely gonna take a lot of what you said tonight and and fine-tune my game plan going into this this uh upcoming season so and and thank you, Brandon, for being on. And just one more reminder to everyone listening in, please uh, check out First Gen Hunter on social media, Instagram, Facebook, even Go Wild. And uh, definitely head over to firstgenhunter.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel, which brings up my next point with Brandon's channel, Hunt Fish Life. Uh, make sure you head over to their Facebook page and uh give them a like engage that's what it's all about don't feel like hey i don't know brandon and his brothers and his his buddies that post i don't know them personally so i shouldn't post no 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 no. that's not it at all interact be it be a part of that it's it's there for you that's why hunt fish life is there and i don't know maybe i shouldn't give this away yet but rumor is there's some uh vlogs coming from hunt fish life here pretty soon is, is that is that correct brandon it's it, it's it is a work in progress and i'm hoping to be having some stuff out here very shortly i mean hey anything that we can do to celebrate hunting and fishing the outdoors bring the brotherhood and sisterhood together i mean we want to do so i mean 
excited to get some of that stuff out. Always love seeing people engage on social media. You know, we love to hear about their adventures, you know, because we share in that and man, it's exciting. Uh, so it's almost, it's almost, you know, more exciting to see the success and see people getting into it than even you yourself doing it, which is a really cool thing. So please jump on there, share those stories and look, be on the lookout for, for some new content here coming out very shortly. I'd like to say a special thank you to Kent for his help with a lot of that. So thank you, Kent. Hey, for sure, man. And I'm hoping, pretty sure Fike follows Hunt Fish Life and he definitely follows First Gen Hunter. So maybe we'll even right. have, have a couple of, uh, Fike's grip and grim photos up on uh, those pages this fall season, there so all the go. listeners can can uh, see yeah, what he's hope. up to. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> well, thanks let's again. Go. Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks again, guys, and uh, looking forward to talking to you soon. But thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Are we there yet? Anyone else feel that way after Garrett's talk about the rut? I am so amped up for the rut this year. And it actually looks like my brother Jake will be joining me thanks to some incredible generosity from Garrett. See my Instagram or Facebook page for details. A big thank you though to Garrett for coming onto the show and sharing his knowledge and passion for hunting whitetails. I hope to have him back on soon, maybe even to do a recap of his hopeful success in the 2020 uh, Illinois bow season this year. I also want to thank Brandon for his time and his excellent questions which helped pry to a deeper level of understanding in this one. Please check out his channel at thehuntfishlife.com and you will also find on that page links to the Hunt Fish Life store and social media pages. And then once you're done checking out Brandon's pages head over to firstgenhunter.com and consume all the other content I have for you there. Please also like and follow First Gen Hunter on Facebook, Instagram, and Go Wild to catch a glimpse of what goes on in the day-to-day pursuit to become a better hunter. So, anyways, hunting season is oh so close, and it's prime time to be finishing up those last few projects and getting your bow dialed in for the season. In the meantime, though, take care and take someone hunting.